Brother Luami Diaz, Caleb, and Micah are with him. We're thankful to have them at FAC this morning. Some of our very favorite people, and uh, they need no introduction. We're going to have Brother Diaz to come and to preach the word of the Lord to you this morning. Let's give God a great hand praise as Brother Diaz. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Give the Lord a hand clap offering here in this house. Hallelujah. Because the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. Amen. It is so good to be in Cincinnati. And I know God puts a rainbow in the sky, but it did not come out this morning. Amen. <laughs> but, uh, but we are so, so glad to be here. And it's always a treat to be with uh, the Urshans. You guys have a phenomenal, phenomenal pastoral family. And you should be proud of that. Amen. When I came into the sanctuary and opened up my iPad, um, it immediately took me to the uh, FAC Wi-Fi connection. And I thought, that's when you know your family. That's when you know there's, a, there's familiarity there. When your iPad can pick up the Wi-Fi connection, you know you've been here before. And uh, I, I've always appreciated the fellowship. You guys always bless us a whole lot more than we bless you. And we're, we're very, very, very happy to be here this morning and to see my two eaglets with me. It's going to be their first time at uh, North American Youth Congress next week. And so we're believing God. We're believing God that he's going to fill Micah with the Holy Ghost this next week. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 7 through verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 13. I read out of the New King James Version there. And the Bible reads it so in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I would like to uh, emphasize here, verse uh, 7, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Everyone say heathen. They think that they will be heard for their many words, and then it says, therefore, do not be like them. When it says, therefore, it means this is a conjunction. Uh, it means I'm, I'm uniting the previous clause to the next clause. That's what the therefore is there. And so what, what it's saying is, look, they think 
that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, therefore, do not be like them. Do not be like them with their many words um, because your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. I want to speak to you here this morning on this simple subject, the prayer that heathens can't pray. The prayer that heathens cannot pray. Would you come with me to the Lord in heaven and ask that he would talk to us here this morning. Father, we bless you. We love you. We exalt your name. We ask that your mercies would follow us even as uh, we are listening here to your word. I pray that you would minister to every single member of this audience and that your power and anointing would be with us. I pray, oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O oh Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Allow me to be honest with the text and to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this room. So prayer is universal, and whenever surveys are conducted uh, about how many people actually pray, the numbers are pretty astonishing, because it seems as though most people do seem to pray. According to a Pew Research Center report, for many Americans, every day is a day of prayer. More than half, that is 55% of Americans say that they pray every day. And then 21% say that they pray weekly or monthly, and only 23% say that they seldom or never pray. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus revealed 2,000 years ago what the modern research seems to indicate. That is, that people do tend to pray. See, there is an instinctive desire in every man to seek a higher power to inquire about the supernatural, to search for answers in a transcendent being of sorts. There's an instinctive desire in every man to uh, search out the, you know, the God in the skies, the divine power. However, though most people pray, not all prayers are homogenous. That is, not all prayers are the same. Because according to Jesus, there are different ways to pray. You can pray like a heathen or you can pray like a Christian. Today, I would like to contrast what the difference between a heathen's prayer, another version calls them pagans and another version calls them Gentiles, a heathen's prayer or a, and, and a Christian prayer, Christian's prayer. I, I want to figure out what that word heathen, first of all, I want to figure out what that word heathen means in this context. In the modern vernacular, that word heathen means a person who is not associated with one of the widely held religions, such as Christianity or Islam or Judaism. However, that is not the definition that Jesus is giving this word. <coughs> See, in this passage, a heathen is a very religious person. The reason we know that is because Jesus says that they think that they will be heard. 
They think that they will be heard. By whom? <coughs> by God. They think they will be heard by God or a divine force of some sort of the, or the universe. They, they are a very religious people. And they think they will be heard for their many words. So a heathen, according to Jesus, at the very least, is a person of prayer. And we can assume that they have some level of faith because they believe that their prayers will be heard. An agnostic or an atheist does not believe in God, much less do they believe their prayers will be heard by a God they don't believe in. And so the heathens here can't be atheists, they cannot be agnostics, they can't be unbelievers. And there's another reason that we know that these cannot be unbelievers is because they seem to pray frequently because of their use of many words. Most prayer neophytes would never use many words in prayer. They don't feel comfortable enough to pray to a God they don't have some sort of knowledge about. And so the term many words seems to indicate frequent practice. In other words, they are professionals at what they're doing. They know the rituals. They know the tradition. They know what to do and what to say. In essence, heathens in this context are very religious people. Usually, we tend to separate the way that God accepts people in terms of either their belief or their lack of belief in God. We think of people as we separate people and categorize them into either believer or unbeliever. And in other words, this is how, you know, we see it. We see it, you're either a Christian or a non-Christian, or religious or irreligious, a believer or not a believer. But it's interesting to me that Jesus isn't making the distinction between a believer and an unbeliever here. The contrast that Jesus is making isn't between the religious and the irreligious, but the contrast that Jesus is making is between the religious and the Christian. The religious and the Christian, they're both believers, but only one is heard. In other words, Jesus is saying heathens are not atheists. Heathens are not unbelievers. Heathens are not agnostic. Heathens are not irreligious. Heathens are very religious folk. And it is as though he has given us a warning that not everyone that believes in God is a Christian. And we also seem to get that from the book of James, that if the belief was the only criteria for Christianity, then demons are Christians. Because the Bible tells us that demons believe that there is one God and they tremble. And that should serve us as a warning here this morning that coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than cooking makes you a chef. Amen. So what separates a Christian 
from a heathen in this text. How do we know whether it is a Christian who is praying or whether it is a heathen who is praying? Well, many people have said it's because heathens tend to ask for things. And that's why Jesus had to tell them in verse 8, your heavenly father knows that we have need. And so they assume that Jesus is referring to heathens here as people who tend to ask for things, for stuff. You know, heathens, heathens are always asking for things and they shouldn't because God knows what we have need of. That's what they say. However, that cannot be right because just several verses later, Jesus himself prays, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus himself is modeling to us petitionary prayer. When you petition God for your needs, petitionary prayer is mentioned over and over again in scripture. It is a right way to approach God. As a matter of fact, God loves when we petition him. As a matter of fact, we are commanded to ask and to knock and to seek and to pursue God with our requests. We are commanded to do this because it is in a sense we are glorifying him by telling him we come to you because as the woman with the issue of blood, I have suffered for a very long time. I've been through every doctor, every option. I've been through every other place and no other place has been able to heal me so I'm coming to you knowing that you're the only one that's got enough power to touch my situation and so this is what he's saying listen this is not what heathens are made of it's not because they ask for things I myself asked for things in daily bread that's not what it is so what then Jesus separates a heathen from a Christian how do we know whether it is a heathen who is praying or whether it is a Christian who is praying well ladies and gentlemen a clear way to tell who is a heathen and who is a Christian according to Jesus is by the way in which each person approaches God see there are two distinct ways to approach God and to better understand the different ways to approach God I think that I should probably explain it this way when we approach anyone for a verbal exchange or for some level of communicative interaction, intuitively you make assumptions about that person that reveal what level of intimacy you have with them. And because the, the reason you do that is because the level of intimacy you have with them is what's going to dictate how you're going to approach that interaction. See, there, there, there are people that I, uh, you know, that, that I don't know very well. And so th those kind of people are the people you see from afar and you nod at them or wave at them. But then there, there are certain people, you know, you don't know them very well, but you know them enough that you want to go over and shake their hands, you know, and at least say, hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a long time. But then there are certain people you've had fellowship with before and they know a little 
something about you and there's some some level of affection there and so there are some people you hug their neck and you say man it is good to see you and there are even people you want to kiss on the cheek and and most people that's what you want to do you want to kiss them on the cheek and then there's one person when you see that person you want to kiss them well hopefully it's one person you want to kiss them you know you never know nowadays Because your level of intimacy, it's what's going to dictate your level of interaction. Your level of intimacy dictates your level of interaction. For example, I travel quite a bit. I was looking over my social media the other day and I noticed that most of the pictures that I post are either on an airport or on a plane. Like half of the pictures that I post. And, 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 and you know, I, I meet new people all the time and this is not by choice. And um, they, they seem to ignore the noise-canceling headphones that are shoved, shoved into my auditory canal. They seem to ignore that, and they would ask me meaningful questions like, do you live here? And it, it is extremely, extremely annoying. But this is, you know, but sometimes I, I meet people uh, at the airport and on a plane, but it would be extremely weird for me to meet a completely random and total stranger who will look back at me and, and you know, stare at me for a little bit after we've just met, and that person looks at me and goes, I love you. And that would be extremely weird. Why would that be extremely weird? Because we don't have that level of intimacy. And because we don't have that level of intimacy, we cannot have that level of interaction. It would be extremely weird for someone as we're, you know, I just met you. You're on a plane with me. We just met. And that person looks back at you and says, sir, would you be so kind as to massage my feet? That would be extremely weird, right? It would be extremely weird. Now, on the other hand, if a family member approached you, there are certain things that you can ask of them that you could not ask of a friend. I have a friend who, who just called me just yesterday and, and, uh, or two days ago, and he called me two days ago and he says, bro, I'm in a bind and I need $3,700. Now, let, 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 me, let me tell you something. You know, I, I looked back, I said, the devil is a liar. I said, There's, I rebuke you, say, not today. But, um, uh, you know, but he, he had, you know, I was glad that he had that level of intimacy with me, that he had that level of comfort that he can ask me that kind of thing. And, and that I could even, you know, after I heard the story that I can go and, and seek to, to, to try to help him out in any way that I could. And the reason I would do that is because our level of intimacy is what validated his question. Had a random person approached me and asked that question, I would have slapped him back to his, I said, you, the devil is a liar. But, but this is somebody that has history and intimacy with me and because he has intimacy his intimacy dictates 
dictates his level of interaction. There are certain things that I can share with a best friend that I can't share with a casual friend. There are certain things that I can text my boys that if you ever got a hold of, I would lose my ministerial license why because because there is an intimacy here that I do not have with you there are certain jokes you cannot just say in front of mixed company or in front of when I say mixed I don't mean gender I mean in, in front of people you have different levels of intimacy with, with because they don't know you like that and because they don't know you their interaction may be you know it may be mixed results in their head because your level of intimacy is what dictates your level of interaction now ladies and gentlemen the main difference between the way a religious person or a heathen approaches God and the way a Christian approaches God is that when a heathen approaches God he approaches God on the basis of a business relationship a business acquaintance whereas when a Christian approaches God he approaches God on the basis of a family member a family member there, there there is a difference between these two see there are two distinct levels of intimacy here because the foundation of a Christian's interaction is found in a deeper intimacy with God what is the difference between a business acquaintance and a family member well the basis of a business acquaintance when he or she interacts with you is this I have something for you I have something for you but the basis of a family member when he or she interacts with you is not I have something for you but I am something to you I am something to you in a business interaction there is a level of you know a performance it is characterized by performance but a family relationship the basis of your interaction is characterized by commitment not performance but commitment a business relationship is conditional a family relationship is unconditional one has to do with doing the other has to do with being and see the business paradigm says if you perform well then you will be accepted but the family paradigm says since you are accepted now you should perform well this is the family paradigm you don't kick children out of your house because they don't perform well you just expect them to perform well because they're already in the house they're already a part of you and so this is this is commitment this is commitment this is a family paradigm see there are two ways to live in a home you can live in a home as a boarder one who pays rent or you can live in a home as a child and a boarder has a distinct relationship to the owner of the house that a child does because a boarder has a business relationship with the landlord and a child has a family relationship with that landlord a boarder has a relationship that is based on goods and services I pay rent in exchange for room and board and many people approach God on this level that's the level in which religious people approach God in see many people approach God on the 
performance level. I have my duties and God you have your duties. I, I dress a certain way so now you have to provide a certain way. I give a certain way so now you have to give me back a certain way. I worship a certain way so now you need to provide me. They approach God on the family, on the, on the business relationship paradigm. There's a sense of entitlement with borders. As long as I pay the rent, the landlord needs to supply my room and upkeep my quarters and do everything in his power to help me feel at home. That relationship is based on goods and services. Goods and services. And only people who don't have an intimate relationship with God approach God in that same sense. In a business relationship sense. I've got my duties and you have your duties. In this text, there is a way that you can tell a heathen from a Christian. See, when heathens interact with God, they use many words. Another version says vain repetitions, vain repetitions. See, when they have vain repetitions, many words, what is that? When I, when I looked into the, the, what it means, vain repetitions or babbling, in another version, is a phrase that means empty words or futile words words. These are words that are devoid of true meaning. And so these words are empty. You know why? Because they are impersonal. These words are empty because they are mechanical. These words are empty because they are robotic they are what you're supposed to do. It is, it is contract language. It is, it is, you know, it is a, a, a binding agreement language. And so when they, you approach a business person, this is how you talk to a business person with empty words. You don't approach somebody you're doing business with on a basis of intimacy. You are approaching them on a base, basis of performance. Whatever, you know, this this is, this is what our, our manual dictates. So this is how we're going to approach you. And these words are empty because there is no sweetness in empty words. There is no love in empty words. There's no affection in empty words. Your heart is not running over in empty words. There's no intimacy in empty words. The way that you can tell a heathen is because his prayer life is full of duty and honor obligation and I have to pray 10 and 15 20 30 minutes because that's what the Bible tells me I have to do and so I have to pray an hour at least an hour and then they look at others and say well you're not going to get as much as I do because I pray an hour you don't pray an hour I fast you don't fast and so the level that I put into it is the level that I'll get out of it that is business friends that is a contract you see his prayer of heathen's prayer is filled with entitlement and it is filled with ritual the prayer of a heathen has been committed to memory it has been learned from a book it has been accompanied by a set religious procedure it is a mechanical request 
pray to a foreign deity of sorts but it doesn't come from a heart whose cup is running over with gratitude to someone that they know and have intimacy with someone they have a history with someone whom they are thankful for because in the midst of their valley he took them by the hands and walked with them they, they don't come from a person who has a gratitude for their master Piney the elder wrote of the ancient Romans prayers who were heathens he said their prayer was the single most powerful religious action and knowledge of the correct verbal formulas was the key to its efficacy you see, they're, they're, they were more concerned with the ritual and the repetition of their prayers and not with the honesty and the intimacy. The key to efficacy, the key to their prayers being answered was that their prayers must be made with the correct verbal formulas. That's what they used. And you can see that in the prayer of the worshipers of Baal on Mount Carmel. See, according to 1 Kings, they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying oh Baal answer us oh Baal answer us it, see that is six hours morning and Jewish thought started at 6 a.m. and so from 6 a.m. till noon they prayed oh Baal answer us oh Baal answer us oh Baal answer us do you know what that is that is correct verbal formula correct verbal formula there's no intimacy in those words there's no love in those words it is contract it is an agreement it is oh Baal I've cut my skin I've sacrificed my children I have done my part and now you do yours oh Baal answer us we've erected this temple or this, this sacrifice this altar to you now you answer us we've done our part now you answer us that is a business perspective I have prayed now you provide I'll shout your name for six hours trader and maybe that will get the trick done answer us bail answer us bail that is a business contract friends that is an agreement I, I, I had a social media debate a, a couple of years ago with a Muslim friend who was absolutely appalled at how intimately I referred to God and he said God is great Allah is great and mankind should never refer to Allah in such intimate terms. He said that Muslims could never call him by any of the affectionate terms that Christians had for him. And honestly, there was something very appealing about what he was saying because in my opinion, God is to be respected. God is to be feared. God is to be adored and worshiped reverently, decently, and in order. I do believe that with all of my heart. And so when I was done with the debate, I remember I, I, I looked and I said, my God, I, I do want to have an awe about you. I never want to lose my honor for you. I, I do never, I never want to come casually um, to you. Let me, let me just add this and please understand where I'm coming from. This 
this is very personal. This is this doesn't this is not church policy. You follow whatever your pastor says, whatever. This is just personal, and I am not dogmatic about this. But I just love our tradition, or you know, many churches' tradition to dress up, you know, on Sunday mornings. And I, when I say dress up, I don't mean you have to come in a three-piece suit or anything, but at least put some thought into what you're putting on. Make sure your clothes are ironed. Make sure I know, I know we're living in a very casual society and please come as you are. But I just love that tradition when you dress up for church and I'll tell you why. Because man, when you're coming, when you're coming before something you really take seriously, you want to make sure that you're putting on your best foot fault. Right? I want to honor my God. I, I want him to see. I want him to see not because it's going to get me more favor. Not because if I come in in ripped jeans, you know, I'm going to get less of a blessing. Then That's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. It's just, I, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so thankful. I just honor him so much that when I wake up on Sundays, I want to say, my God, this is the best day of the week. This is the Lord's day. I want to be able to show up and dress the part. But the main title that this Muslim friend found issue with was when I called God Father. That drove him absolutely mad. It drove him crazy. And as I reflected on his arguments, I sincerely asked myself, does my Bible minimize the greatness of God? Does my Bible minimize the greatness of God? Why am I, why am I, you know, the, the fact that I call him father, does that minimize the greatness of God? And then I realized, no, 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 no. The Bible does not minimize the greatness of God. The Bible affirms the greatness of our God. Because in my Bible, God is a ruler. And in my Bible, God is a king. But he's not just a king. He is king of kings. In my Bible, he is Lord. But he's not just Lord. He is Lord of lords. In my Bible, the Bible said he measures the sea with the palm of his hand. In my Bible, he is creator of heaven and earth the whole earth is full of his glory heaven's hosts bow before him they say hosanna to the king of kings so no my bible does not minimize him it says he is all powerful the only and wise God it says he is all knowing it says he is omnipotent omniscient and he is omnipresent Our Bible does not minimize the greatness of our God. Our Bible affirms the greatness of our God. And so do we. We do too. We sing it. We say it. How great is our God. And it's not enough that we ourselves sing it individually. We want you to join in because we say, sing with me. How great is our God. We acknowledge the fact that our God is great yet 
when Jesus started off his model prayer, he did not start it off by saying, our king who art in heaven. He did not start that prayer off by saying, our ruler who art in heaven. He did not say, our creator and the Lord of heavenly hosts who art in heaven. Hallowed be, that's not how he started. He said, our father. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the greatest distinction between a heathen's prayer and a Christian's prayer. You see, heathens have many repetitions. They have callous and mechanical prayers. They have pompous sacrifices and processions, but they can't call God Father. They can't call God Father. And the greatest and foundational aspect of the Lord's prayer is found in those first initial words, our Father, our Father, because it introduces on what basis we are going to approach our God. Are we going to approach you as a business acquaintance or are we going to approach you as a family member? Will we have vain repetitions and futile words that are devoid of love and affection or will we come to you as our Abba Father? Who knows what we have need of? You remember that the next time you throw before the throne of grace. You remember that the next time you get a call that your children have been in an accident. You remember that the next time the doctor says you've got cancer. You're not just praying to some individual out in the cosmos. You're not just praying to a distant deity in the great beyond. He is a father who feeds birds and dresses lilies. He is a father who knows what you have need of. He is a father. The Lord didn't even start his prayer by calling God a friend. Although he is a friend to us. But why? And I'm going to tell you why. Because even a friend is a hybrid of sorts. A friend is somewhere between a border and a child. Somewhere between a business acquaintance and a family relationship. There is a, some level of intimacy between friends that is not found in a stranger. But even friendships are based on performance. How do I know that? I know that because how many BFFs have you had in your life? That you still claim, ooh, that was my BFFL. That was my best friend forever. But you never talked to them again or contacted them again. And you don't even know once that person left your, that season in your life, you don't even know where they're at, whether they're married, whether they're single, whether they're dead or alive. Do you know why? Because friendship is not the strongest bond on earth. Even friendship is based on performance. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, don't, don't even look at me and say, no, that is my friend, best friend forever. That's your best friend forever until she starts talking to your ex.
right? Friendship is not the strongest bond on earth. Do you know what the strongest bond on earth is? Family. Family. I need you to think about it for a second because some people here will say, well, preacher, you think family is the strongest bond on earth because you've never met my family. Right? We put the fun in dysfunctional. Listen, I know, I understand that we are living in a very complex world where traditional family values are regressing each day. However, think about this for a moment. The dysfunction in our families is actually what proves the paradigm that family is the strongest bond on earth. And you know when you can see that more clearly? You can see that more clearly during the holiday season. During the holiday season, dysfunctional families from everywhere will get together, will come together to have either Thanksgiving or Christmas. You can see that throughout the holiday season. And some of you, even as I mentioned the holiday season, you're, you're already getting ulcers just thinking <laughs> about your mother-in-law coming this year. <clears throat> right? But you can see this more clearly during the holiday season. Because for Thanksgiving, Auntie Maria is coming from New York. But Auntie Maria, she's mad at her sister because her sister took 3% more of the inheritance that was due her. And so she's out there going, girl, you took $2,598.65. And girl, it's not about the money. It's about the principle. <laughs> right? So she, they don't talk. They don't talk. They haven't talked in two years. Then Cousin Mark is coming down. He's coming from Virginia. But Cousin Mark, he's offended because, you know, a couple years ago, he got bold and he came out of the closet as a gay man. And you know how cousins are. Cousins are, cousins are vicious, right? So the cousins are desperately trying to shove him back into this closet. Right? They took the family picture and photoshopped his boyfriend off the picture. <laughs> and he's out. And there's no way that we're going to mention that. And so, but, but Cousin Mark, he shows up. And then Grandpa Jim, he's hosting this year. But he's also upset because everyone, everyone has left me out to die by myself. Everybody, I'm just by myself. No one cares. No one FaceTimes me anymore. No, who's, are those my grandsons? Are those my grandsons? That, that, that one looks black. Who's that one? What, I just... I don't understand what's going on. I mean, that's just the way it is. And two sisters are coming, but they're infighting because their children don't seem to get along. And one children 
on one set of children is favorite over the other, and your kids get more gifts than my chick, my kids get because you're dad's favorite. And I don't care what dad says, and I know why. It's because you don't love my man. That, but that's my boo. That's my bae. And so I'm gonna stick with my man, and it doesn't matter what you say. And I don't care what you told me never to marry him. I don't care. That's still my boo, and I know that he hurts me and he kill. You know, I know that he beats me, but it's all right. I'm saying that's still my man. I'm gonna stand by him. But preacher, with all of that dysfunction, how do you prove that dysfunction actually proves the strength of the paradigm, that the family paradigm is the strongest bond on earth? I'm going to tell you how. Because friends with that level of dysfunction would never be coming together. The only people on planet earth who still come together after they have stolen from each other, lied on each other, backbited, mur you know, murmured, gossip, talked about, hurt. After all that stuff, you are crazy offended, but you're still coming together in Thanksgiving. You may have to eat in the room upstairs while everybody else is doing their thing, but you're still coming to the family gathering together because the only people that come together after all of that dysfunction is family. That's why I am so glad that the Lord's prayer didn't start out with our friend who art in heaven. Though God is a friend. But see, had he started it out with friend at the very slightest act of sin on my behalf, I would be kicked out because friendship is based on performance. The only person who will still love me in spite of my dysfunction, in spite in spite of my flaws, in spite of my falling, in spite of my sin, it is a father. Nothing can separate me from the love of my father. Nothing can separate me from the love of my father. See, the only person that can disrupt a king at 3 o'clock in the morning, the only person <laughs> that can disrupt a king's sleep at 3 a.m. is his boy. Everybody else can't even get 10 miles from the palace. They've got guards. They've got security. They've got satellites looking at you from heaven. They're on to you. They've got radars. The only person that can walk right past the guards doesn't even have to knock on the door. Just walks into the chamber 
and gets on daddy's bed the only person that can do that is his son his son will say dad I just had a nightmare I know you're sleeping but dad I had a nightmare and the king will take his crown off he will take his kingly priest and kingly robes off and he'll say come on baby come on let me tell you a story let me talk to you let me calm your fears it's okay nobody else could do this to me but our level of intimacy is what dictates our level of interaction I've got two boys Caleb and Micah and uh, Caleb's 14 Micah's 12 Caleb is a a basketball player he's a he does, he does okay at school, just finished, you know, he was in honors classes. Uh, you know, he's, he's a good, good, respectful uh, son. And, and so is Micah, to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, Micah, though, is, uh, he is accelerating the process of the 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 white hairs and uh so the other day or last year beginning of school year you know micah did something that was uh pretty awful and uh you know i thought to myself oh lord this 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 whole fathering thing was going so great until these kids reached preteen and teenage years And then they ruined a whole lot of sermons. (laughs) My God. You know, when you could get, I used to scream at people, my kids are obedient. My kids are subject unto me. Uh, They were six and four. (laughs) Now I'm over here like, pray for them. (laughs) Pray for me. So Micah did something that, that was, uh, you know, and listen, I'm like 6'4", 200, and none of your business, pal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I thought to myself, I can't, I can't spank the kid because there's only two levels. Like you either don't hurt him at all or you kill him, you know. So, <laughs> you know, at this, at this height and this strength, you know, there's only two levels here before he feels it. It's either he doesn't feel it at all or he's going to the hospital. And I don't, I don't want to go to jail. So I, I, I don't want to do that. So I said, man, I've got to find a way to, um, to discipline him without, you know, with, without spanking him, uh, you know, or killing him. So, um, so I did. My discipline to him was one that was a little harsh because it, 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 it merited the harshness. And it hurt me, but it was harsh. And it's something that when I say a lot of teenagers here are going to faint, so get ready. I told my son, I'm not going to spank you, but I'm taking away your video games. No video games. Not for a day. Not for a week, not for this weekend, not for a month, 
for the whole school year. Can't get on your video games at all. I'm going to tell you, that was hard. It was hard on me. It was hard on him. And I could tell it was hard on him because he tried to be proud and not show any, you know, like I had hurt him at all. So he looked back at me with a stiff face, stoic, like nothing had hurt him until he went. That's when I knew. <laughs> I said, I got you, boy. I got you. But, you know, I travel every weekend. And so uh, the next weekend, you know, the week went by. It was great. The next weekend came along. And I got a call. Look down. It's Micah Diaz. So I answered the phone. What up, man? Micah. Dad. Yep, that, um, I know you said that I can't play any video games. Yep, that's what we just talked about last week. Uh, yeah, but that, um, you think it's okay if this weekend, like not, like I don't want to do it during the week because I know it's like school days or whatever and I can't. <laughs> but just for this weekend, you think it'll be all right if I play I look down at the phone like this, dude. <laughs> the audacity of this dude to call me and I said, Micah, are you out of your mind? There is absolutely no way. I just told you, you can't play. Okay, dad. Love you. Love you too, Micah. Next week. Hey, what up, man? Dad. I know that you said no, no video games. But I was wondering, is there, like, could we pre-order NBA 2K17? We just, I, I'm not going to play it. I just want to pre-order it just, just to have it. I done, Micah, we are going to pre-order NBA 2K58 because that's the year you're going to be allowed to play. <laughs> okay, Dad. Love you. Love you too, son. This went on for about four to five weeks. He'd keep calling me. And then about the sixth time, Micah Diaz. Hey, what up, bro? Dad. Yep. Dad, um, I don't want to play video games in my house because that's, that's what you said. But we're going out on vacation, or we're going out for Christmas. We're going on, on vacation to, um, uh, to uh, you know, to be with uh, uh, my cousins. 
in New York. You think that while I'm there on vacation, would it be okay for me to play? Not here, not at the house. <laughs> but while I'm there with my cousins, do you think it'll be okay? By that time, Micah had me. So I didn't answer because I didn't want to go back on my word. And justice and mercy were fighting within me. So finally, I just didn't say a word. I didn't say yes. I didn't say no. And I knew that Micah had accepted the mercy side. Because after about five seconds of nothing coming from the other line, he went, yes. <laughs> okay, Dad, love you. Love you too. I'll never forget the thought that came to my mind right after that phone call. And I said, the of this little rug rat that he would think why in the world would he do that to me he just broke me down like I like I'm supposed to be this this stern disciplined guy and and Micah just broke me down and I was ready to call him back and say no way you get to play any video games and I, I kept trying and I couldn't but the more I thought about it the more the Lord was revealing something to me. You should not be mad at Micah. The only reason that Micah has the audacity to come before you and ask you again when no one in their right mind on a business contract would dare to ask those questions because they know this is my duty this is my deal this is the agreement the only reason that Micah kept coming back even after he had messed up and failed the only reason he kept asking and felt that he had enough right to do it is because of his intimacy with you. You see, Micah knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that though his dad is stern and has to have discipline, his dad also stays up until 4.30 in the morning to relearn fourth grade math, to do homework with his son. And so he knows, Daddy, I know you have to have discipline, but deep down inside, I know you love me more than anybody in this world you're the one that loves me he knows that dad would not miss a parent teacher meeting he knows that his dad would show up during recess at his school at times and say here son I've got lunch for you let's lunch together let's play together let's be together he knows there is no one on earth that loves him more than his father does and because of the intimacy he can knock and he can seek and he can pursue and he can call and he can say daddy daddy
business partner. I don't have something for you. I am something to you. Daddy, I'm coming back. And somebody in this house, I feel like you can go back to your daddy, to your Abba here this morning. Daddy. Daddy, I know you said, I know you said no two months ago to my healing. But it's me. You know me by day. You did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for me. I know how much you love me. If it's not possible and it's not your will, I understand. I still love you. But I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to knock. I'm not afraid to seek. I'm not afraid to pursue. Daddy, I know I messed up. I failed you morally. I don't know if ministry is in the cards for me again. Perhaps not. But oh God, I still have so much word in me. I want to be able to preach again somehow, or minister, or do something for your kingdom. Is it all right if you say no? I'll still love you. It's all right. You're still daddy. But I'm going to knock again. I'm going to seek again. Because my level of intimacy, it's what's going to dictate my level of interaction. You are father. You're not a business acquaintance. You're my father. Would you lift your hands all over this house right now? And from the depth of your soul, would you go before your heavenly father right now? Would you go before your heavenly father and say, you know what I have need of, oh God. And so I'm going to ask again. I'm going to seek again. I'm going to pray again. You're not a business acquaintance. You're not just my landlord. You are our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, in heaven as it is on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. You are daddy, you are daddy so you can give us daily bread. You are daddy, we're going to love you anyway. Your daddy, we're going to worship you anyway. But daddy, if it quite be all right, would you restore me? Would you heal my mother if it's okay with you, Daddy? I know you said no. Would you save my child if it's okay with you? Would you reach out? Would you save my unsaved loved ones? You are a father who dresses lilies. You are a father who said, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. You are a father. You are Father, you are Abba, you are Daddy. 
and so we'll come before you. I want to open up this altar all over this building. I wonder if you'd come down and just say, or if you would stand or sit or whatever you do, just do what you do. But I wonder if you'll go before your heavenly father here today and say, I'm here. I'm not a heathen. I don't have callous prayers. I may not be the greatest theologian, but I know you by name. I know who you are. You have every hair on my head counted. I don't know all the deep intricacies of theology in the Bible, but I do know you. You know me. There's a relationship there. There's intimacy there. So I feel a boldness to come into the throne room of grace and ask petition for my soul because because your daddy, your Abba, you are good. You are a good, good father. You are good and so we'll come and we'll seek for you and we'll seek your face. This, this altar is open. Make your way down here if you could and just say yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who 